Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for being here for another edition of Political Rewind. A panel of journalists join us uh, for the show today. So let's get right to introducing them. Um, GPB's Stephen Fowler is uh, with us. He's political reporter at GPB. And uh, Stephen is especially busy during election seasons because he's not only out there reporting, he also uh, does his uh, Battleground Ballot Box uh, podcast podcast. which uh, also consumes a good amount of time uh, for him. Stephen, thanks for being with us today. Always a pleasure, Bill, and it's uh, about that time for another election. Yeah, it's uh, we're coming up on the first day of early voting next Monday, May 2nd, um, and that's going to play into a good part of our conversation today. GPB's Donald Lowry is here as well, the host of Lawmakers, which finally ended a long season after um, the session ended a while back. So you've had a chance to recoup a little, get a, catch your breath, relax a bit, Donna? Yeah, I have. It, you know, the, it, we, you called it a long season. We always started off thinking, oh, this will go fast. It did seem extra long. It, it just it, it starts out quick, and then it seems like it just slows down near the end. So anyway, I have had a chance to relax, Bill. Thanks. I will uh, look forward to being on the show. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. And Leroy Chapman, managing editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is back with us. Leroy, uh, you made a good deal of news at the AJC this week. A lot of news organizations picked up your latest poll of statewide races. Um, And uh, it had some interesting findings, Leroy. Uh, Absolutely. And if you're interested in that poll, go to AJC.com. But yes, the news does not stop, and this polling was really fascinating stuff. Um, we're going to talk a bit about that. Uh, Stephen, the uh, the AJC poll, of course, showed Brian Kemp, as other polls have, with a substantial lead over uh, David Perdue. Um, one of the things about the AJC poll was that it put him well over 50 percent, the, uh, the uh, percentage he'd need to win without a runoff. Um, most of the other polls have him just under 50 percent, although Mark Roundtree at Landmark Communications had him over 50 percent as well. The reason I mention all this, Stephen, is this is another uh, uh, reason that tonight David Perdue is going to be doing everything he possibly can in this second debate to find a way to gain momentum against Brian Kemp. How is he going to move in that direction, do we imagine? Well, I mean, you have to look no further than the debate that happened on Sunday night where both Kemp and Perdue were uh, very fired up uh, at each other and things like that. You know, Brian Kemp uh, has to have this opportunity to show that he's worthy of the 50% plus one. He's leaning into his record. He's really attacking Purdue, kind of going on the offensive there. But, I mean, David Purdue is doubling, tripling, quadrupling, whatever ing you want to call it, down on the hardcore Trump base, believing 2020 was stolen, the only way to move forward is to focus on the past. 
and that, you know, Trump said Brian Kemp is a traitor and a turncoat and Purdue's the only way to do it. And that's what we saw with his opening words in the debate on Sunday. And I would not expect anything different from tonight's debate because, you know, in these final weeks of the campaign, it seems there's a one-track mind that David Perdue is going to squeeze every last vote out of the Trump base possible and not expand beyond that. Yeah, Leroy, it does feel like that's a David Perdue's uh, one hope of, of getting some momentum, and that is really firing up those adamant pro-Trumpers who agree that the election was stolen. Yeah, you know, that, that's certainly <laughs> a path for him, but uh, it's a difficult one. So when we dig into our polling, we see that uh, Brian Kemp has a large favorability rating among Republican voters. So our poll is a snapshot. It's before the first debate. But um, but really, when you look at what um, uh, Purdue is going to have to do, uh, he has a Republican electorate that certainly is suspicious of 2020, but also a Republican electorate, if you ask them, they're looking forward to this election. And I think that it's it's probably going to be secure. A majority says that. Uh, and Kemp is able to say that, you know, Georgia has taken some steps. So uh, he was out front. Uh, he speaks with authority from being the secretary of state. Uh, and he's been able to rebut some of the things that, uh, again, uh, the claims out of the election in 2020 that uh, have not survived any sort of scrutiny ever anywhere. Uh, he's been able to rebut that without necessarily putting those people off and saying that their claims are completely illegitimate. So he he has a tight rope to walk, and he hasn't made a mistake in that way. So uh, with that said, um, I think that uh, Purdue has to continue to attack Kemp because if you look at that favorability gap that our poll re- reveals, uh, Kemp is in a really good position at the moment. And, um, man, this, this debate is going to be on the night that the NFL draft and a lot of folks are going to be – uh, looking elsewhere. So I wonder if this debate is going to be one that would, would turn the, 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 the tide in any way, uh, because I just wonder how many people are going to be even plugged in. Donna? It, it'll be interesting to see. I think, um, I, I hope um, the, the governor decide, has decided that he needs to come off as a lot more gubernatorial, that he has to look like the, uh, the statesman, the head of the state that he is, uh, he certainly did not show that on Sunday, and uh, this is an opportunity for him to turn that around and really focus on w- the, the good things that he's done that he has been able to tout when he has his ads and all. And, you know, coming out of the legislative session, big wins, you know, tax refund, gas tax um, suspension, income tax cut, um, the raise for state employees, the teacher pay raise. Um, all of that, you know, that the, today he is signing the um, a bunch of bills, seven different bills this morning up in Forsyth County that deal with education issues, big wins in terms of the Republican base and, and when it comes to that. So I think he's going to um, he's he's going to need to focus on what he's doing right. I will let you know that I couldn't watch the debate when it happened, so I recorded it and watched it later. I had to keep stopping to um, stopping the recording so that I could really pay attention to what they were talking about because there was so much back and forth. I think this is a chance for him to slow things down, to really not let 
uh, David Perdue get to him. It is obvious the two men don't like each other, and I think it is better if the uh, the governor takes the high road on this. But we'll see. I think David Perdue is going to be still in that attack dog mode in terms of uh, going after the the governor. So we'll see. Stephen, Stephen. But you know, Donna. But you know, Donna. To your point, you know, Brian Kemp this entire time is acting like he's been down ten points at the polls. He's not taking anything for granted. Really, his entire political career, he's been an underdog. And even as the sitting governor, a lot of people for the longest time thought that he was an underdog in this primary race. And so he's taking things, he's not taking things for granted. Case in point, earlier this week, he went to sign an income tax cut in David Perdue's hometown at one of David (laughs) Perdue's restaurants. I mean, the only thing missing was a giant foam finger with a certain one extended towards David Perdue. And I mean, this is, you know, this is a completely scorched earth policy platform that come May 25th, Brian Kemp will feel like he's earned every vote that he's got. And the polls suggest that he's going to have more than 50 percent. Um, uh, uh, Leroy, the other thing to add to the trip that uh, Brian kept made to Bonaire to David Perdue's favorite restaurant, uh, it, no, two things. Number one, that's where David Perdue uh, recorded one of his first commercials in the campaign at that restaurant. And more important, he brought David's cousin Sonny <laughs> but with him, although Sonny told reporters he hadn't decided who he was going to vote for in that primary yet. <laughs> Yeah, that having Sonny on uh, certainly was not uh, a mistake. It was very calculated. So all the things that Stephen said, that was another thing, too, to have Sonny there. And, you know, one of the things, too, that uh, I think Republicans and Republican voters, too, are probably making calculation with is who's going to beat Stacey Abrams. And that's another thing, too, that Purdue has to overcome, because the one thing that Kemp can say is that I've beaten her already. And the one thing that is uh, difficult for Purdue to overcome is that he lost to John Ossoff, uh, someone who's an unknown and so, who was a un- relative unknown at the time and certainly not as formidable as Stacey Abrams. Okay. Um, uh, if you've been listening to uh, GPB Radio all morning, you know that we're doing a pledge drive uh, today. And that's kind of a new way we're doing things rather than taking up two weeks at a time, which I know annoys everybody out there and it makes us a little unhappy. Um, so we're going to take a few minutes uh, in, in the show today. We're going to do two pledge breaks, and that's all. You will also notice we have a lot of content time uh, because the powers that be don't want to keep you from hearing the kind of discussions that you've always said you like so much on Political Rewind. So let's get to our first pledge break. Um, and uh, if you have already been a, a donor to GPB, we're grateful to you for doing that. If not, here's a great way for you to start. AJC Managing Editor Leroy Chapman, GPB's lawmakers host, Donna Lowry, and GPB political reporter uh, Stephen Fowler join us for uh, today's uh, show um, Leroy, we, uh, we know that David Perdue has some ground to make up if he thinks he uh, can win this GOP nomination. And I want to play in a moment here a new ad uh, that was paid for by the Make America Great Again Again <laughs> PAC, which is associated with uh, Donald Trump. They put some money into Georgia, 
And uh, we're going to listen to the audio of it, but you will see that this ad is an effort to sort of create a mini ticket to tie David Perdue to the enormous success that Herschel Walker seems to be having, at least according uh, to the polls. Uh, so let's listen and discuss the impact that this could have. The Trump-endorsed America First conservatives for Georgia, David Perdue for governor, and Herschel Walker for Senate. Herschel is not only a Georgia hero, he is an American legend. David Perdue is an outstanding man. He's tough. He's smart. And President Trump says that Brian Kemp can't win the general election against Stacey Abrams. David Perdue, Herschel Walker, the Trump-endorsed candidates committed to keeping Georgia great. Make America Great Again Again, Inc. is responsible for the content of this happening. Leroy, what do you think? <laughs> well, uh, there's only there's one glaring problem with that ad, and is that um, Kemp can rebut that he actually has beaten Stacey Abrams before. So, so the idea that he's not up to the job, uh, he has he has proof. And then uh, I think the other part of that also that I think our poll reveals too is uh, I think Republicans, uh, while Trump is still popular with them. Uh, you know, we asked the question about how influential would, you know, his endorsement be. And we've been asking that question consistently. And uh, it is uh, declining. It does not match his favorability. So Trump's favorability is still essentially all Republicans still love him, almost all. I mean, it is overwhelming. But uh, but there is a difference between them viewing Trump favorably and them saying that uh, they will vote for, for candidates uh, of his choosing. So if you begin looking at the Trump slate, the quote-unquote Trump slate, uh, you know, it, it, it's a pretty mixed bag. Uh, so Walker is uh, probably going to win in a cakewalk, uh, but uh, he probably didn't need uh, Trump's endorsement to be able to do that. Uh, he certainly had his own name and popularity uh, that's built on something that was not uh, – that had nothing to do with Donald Trump. Uh, whereas if you look at some of the other candidates, uh, you think about Joey Heights, uh, some of those folks uh, who Trump has endorsed, and they're not in this ad on the ticket, uh, they they are not, uh, you know, far and away leading in those races at all. In fact, uh, I think we may wake up uh, at, at the end of this primary, and there will be a couple of folks who Trump uh, endorsed who will probably win. But it will not be overwhelming, and he will not be able to stand up and say that uh, he was decisive in making uh, – in, in having a Trump slate sweep through Georgia. That's, that's, that is not going to happen. Stephen, I mean, it, it, spending a lot of time out in the field at Republican events, at campaign events, at local party meetings and conventions and things, the, the difference in Trump endorsements this time and the difference in Trump endorsements for the governor's race is that it takes a lot of mental gymnastics to argue that Brian Kemp is not a really good option for conservative voters and that David Perdue, who lost to a relatively unknown millennial filmmaker is a better electoral candidate to beat Stacey Abrams, one of the most popular Democrats in the country. And, you know, it, it, Trump's endorsements, I mean, look at Brian Kemp. I mean, Brian Kemp was not the favorite candidate to win in 2018. Trump was still new in his presidency. There was a lot of energy and attention. And even with Brian Kemp, there were other things that suggested he could win the primary runoff, and Trump helped put him over the top. 
But Brian Kemp, like Donna mentioned earlier, everything from the budget to the way campus handled COVID to the way campus handling education and voting rights and, you know, any laundry list you could ask for as a conservative voter in Georgia, Brian Kemp has delivered that for them. And so it's really, really hard for the average voter to see that record, to see what they see when they live their daily lives and look outside of their windows and see why Brian Kemp is not the answer for them moving forward, even when you take beating Stacey Abrams aside. Like, if you live your life as a Republican conservative in Georgia, Brian Kemp has done a lot to make your life better or to keep it better. And Donald Trump, from his enclave in Florida, might not have the best idea about what's going on here. And that's what, time and time again, we've heard from conservative voters in the state. Donna? Yeah, and so um, I... Listening to that ad, I have a hard time getting past the um, Make America Great Again Again part of it. It uh, just makes me laugh every time. I, I just uh, I can't believe they couldn't come up with something better than that. Um, it just sounds like we, we didn't ma- actually make it happen before, so we're going to try again. And each time we're just going to, I mean, what, what do we just keep adding and again to it every time, you know? So anyway. Um, so uh, Purdue, though, needs the coattails. He doesn't have them right now to, to hang on to, except for Herschel Walker, who, you know, the polls are showing that he is doing well. So he's, he's grabbing on to what he can. And so um, aligning himself with Herschel Walker at least tells him, that, uh, tells people that, um, you know, that he's got this glow from Walker possibly that will help him. Um, be more aligned with Trump and whatever, you know, whatever Herschel has that maybe he could uh, shine in that light a little bit in terms of what the, the voters see when they get to the polls. I'm not sure it'll work for him. I think people see them as totally different candidates. And uh, and they're looking at, as, as both Stephen and Leroy have talked about, is that the, they're looking at him against Kemp rather than him possibly is just part of the the Trump ticket. For the Republicans who are part of the Trump base, there's still, I think there's still some of them who are, a a lot of them, who are still really, um, who are not as entrenched in, they may like Trump, um, but they are not as entrenched in every single candidate that he he is uh, endorsing, not just in Georgia, but in other states too. Ohio, right, apparently he... um, endorsed a candidate in Ohio that surprised everybody because he, um, they thought he would go in another direction, and yet he went ahead and, and endorsed this candidate who uh, wrote a book. Um, J.D. Vance wrote the Hillbilly Elegy, and people were surprised in Ohio that he went ahead and um, that Trump went ahead and endorsed him. So I, I don't think just being um, aligned with Trump is going to um, work in his favor. Necessarily, You know, by the way, as long, as long as you mentioned Ohio, what's really interesting up there and in Pennsylvania is that Trump has backed candidates in Ohio and Pennsylvania, and so is Ted Cruz backing other candidates. So it's interesting, since Ted Cruz kind of was the last man standing in that 2016 election that Donald Trump eventually run, won, uh, the competition between them for endorsements, if endorsements mean anything, will be interesting. Um, Stephen, you've spent an awful lot of time covering Secretary of State uh, Brad Raffensperger and the workings of his office. And I think one of the most interesting findings that um, 
uh, Leroy's AJC poll shows us is that uh, Jody Heiss, the Trump-endorsed candidate, is really running neck and neck with Brad Raffensperger. Um, you would think that all those people who are angry about the fake election, so-called election uh, would be uh, rallying around Jody Heiss. That, at least uh, right now, doesn't appear to be the case. Well, well, you have to consider the amount of people that are still in the 2020 with stolen camp and that drives every decision they make is about the percentage that Jody Heiss is polling at. You know, if you look at the breakdown of the Republican primary electorate, it's really about 30 to 35 percent that might fall into this election with stolen hardcore Trump voter base. So Jody Heiss is meeting expectations there. The thing I will note about the Republican Secretary of State's race and why Brad Raffensperger has always been still alive and still in the hunt is if you look at the way he's run his campaign, the two things that he's focused on the most have been Stacey Abrams and trying to prevent non-citizens from voting, even though they already can't vote in Georgia. And when uh, you look at those two issues, it might seem strange that he's hitting those things over and over and over again when Georgia bans non-citizens from voting. Nobody's trying to get non-citizens to vote. You know, Stacey Abrams doesn't have a whole lot to do with the mess of, you know, trying to steal the election in 2020 and things like that. But, you know, if you have questions about those things, you're not probably a Republican primary voter. But those two things that he's hitting are really, really effective messages with the average Republican primary voter that is not obsessively checking far right websites for the latest bombshell evidence about 2020. And and I think, you know, he's going off on these two messages that seem to resonate. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he wins in the primary runoff because of uh, the question of immigration, which is not really a real thing. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, we're almost certain to see the Secretary of State's race go to a runoff. Um, you know, Leroy, one of the things that I find fascinating about Ravensburger is he's really been very clever. Uh, obviously, he made his reputation nationally by refusing to go along with uh, Trump's declaration that Georgia was stolen. Um, but as he runs his campaign, he's doing enough to show voters that he is in investigating aspects of the vote that's still Uh, are open to questions. So he just issued uh, subpoenas to uh, get through the vote, to send whatever whatever documentation they have for the fraud that they say took place in uh, uh, voting. So he's walking a fine line there, and and probably it's helping him with uh, conservative voters. Yeah, so, I mean, that is a fine line. So he has to appear, he, he can't appear hostile to the idea that something happened. So he has to appear yeah. open to it, but he's not walked away from everything he said before, which is uh, that uh, through everything that his office has purview over, which, of course, are the recounts and the audits and uh, multiple recounts and audits show that there was not anything there that would have proven uh, decisive or would have compromised the election in any way or would have produced a different outcome. And, um, you know, and, and if you think about Brian Kemp, to skip to another one, I mean, he, in that debate, said, uh, please, if we've got uh, evidence, uh, send me a name. <laughs> and so he's echoing yeah. Bill Ball, too. So given that, uh, yeah, they both, they both have to walk a fine line. They can't be hostile to the idea of taking a look, but uh, they also don't walk away from uh, where they stood. 
All right. Um, Got to get to another pledge break, the final pr- pledge break of this show. What a great opportunity for you to show your support for GPB Radio and, I hope, for a political uh, rewind. Here's how you can do it. Quick couple of notes as we continue with Political Rewind. Uh, first of all, we're going to do something a little different with our format on the show uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're going to have long-form interviews uh, in the days, the last weekday before early voting starts with two leaders uh, of, of, of the, in the legislature. Uh, uh, Speaker of the House David Ralston is going to be here. Jim Galloway and I will do a one-on-one interview uh, with Ralston uh, as he, we approach the election. And um, uh, before Ralston, uh, uh, House Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, who is one of the really most highly respected Democrats in the House, will be with us and we'll talk to her about how she sees things shaping up as early voting gets underway. So I'm really looking forward to that slightly different approach to doing Political Rewind. And one other quick thing, uh, the latest edition of the Political Rewind newsletter is out. You can subscribe at gpb.org slash newsletters. I hope you'll check us out. Okay. Um, so, Donna, uh, we think that it is quite likely in this debate tonight that David Perdue will once again bring up his opposition to Rivian. He attacks Governor Kemp, saying it was a sneaky deal that didn't bring uh, the people of the uh, area in to uh, give their thoughts about it. An, an odd position for a guy who has been a corporate executive for all of his career before becoming an elected official. But that said, we now know that the State Economic Development Authority has begun, uh, has signed off on a couple of aspects of the Rivian plant. They've got an environmental agreement with Rivian. They're talking about um, additional tax incentives that Rivian is going to be able to get. And they do this after only one meeting with the community, one of, they say, 16 meetings that Rivian is supposed to have with people in the community to help them understand the deal and give their input. Donna? Yeah, I, I, um, I think that, um, of course, Purdue has found this niche, you know, he's found this niche way of just trying to uh, make Kemp look bad by siding with those in the community near social circle where they want to put in this Rivian plant. So he's, he's decided that that's going to be his way of getting in. But the reality is, you know, this is a major project. It's bringing in 7,500 jobs. Is, is, uh, we're, we're hearing about all of that. And, and it seems like, it, although there have been stops and starts, it seems like a, this is a ball that's rolling and um, will, will probably happen. Uh, it's tough to say that. I have, uh, I've had people talk to me who, who've told me they never, they think it'll never happen. But I do think it's, um, it's something to talk about. And Purdue has decided that this is good red meat for the Trump base to, to bring up the one person, let's face it, that this is all about as, as far as Trump, the Trump base is concerned is George Soros. Okay. So the billionaire investor, you know, who, um, big time Democrat put his money, has put a lot of money into Rivian. And, uh, I think this is a way of bringing that up and con- trying to connect in some way Kemp to, um, to a Republican, you know, um, investors. So I, I mean, I'm sorry, a Democratic investor. So I think that is part of it. Uh, I don't know if 
um, outside of that community, the rest of the state is really looking at this in the way that Purdue might hope. Leroy? So it is, it is stunning to think about where we are now. Uh, if you go back to look at uh, what happened with the Kia plan, and if there's anything that seemed to unite politicians, it was the scale of economic development. When you're talking about uh, 7,500 manufacturing jobs, if you're talking about the possibility of spinoff supplier jobs, uh, that kind of impact is rare. Uh, it's competitive. And it was a time when Georgia was uh, competing with the rest of the South to make sure that uh, it was well positioned to get an economic uh, investment like this. Fast forward to now, and this is uh, falling into politics. It's just about everything else now in modern American life, where even things that you don't think politics would seep into it would. And so, uh, yeah, this is uh, certainly about politics. This is, as you know, mentioned, the uh, George Soros example. Um, and you would think that Republicans who have really made uh, part of their platform, let's revitalize rural Georgia, <laughs> that this would be the thing that would uh, would not be controversial, in fact, that they would be united behind it. But um, the backdrop of politics is undeniable in, in this. So, uh, you know, I say that all to say that uh, as a newspaper editor, uh, I am all for transparency and all for community input. So there is something to be said about uh, making sure that the meetings and the input play out. But also, too, some of the concerns here have to do with things that uh, are political and therefore just perceptions about uh, Democrats coming in to change a, a, a very conservative Republican part of the state. And um, that's, that's very, that's difficult. That's more, that's diff you can't really, how can you really pinpoint and mitigate those concerns? Stephen, uh, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to the Purdue campaign, but I, but I guess my comment is, is a little bit, this seems to be the uh, classic grasping at straws strategy in terms of Rivian. Well, yeah, I, I mean, grasping at straws is a pretty good descriptor of these final weeks of the Purdue campaign. I mean, you had David Purdue saying that it was disgusting that Brian Kemp offered a pay raise for educators and other state employees in an election year. He disparaged the Georgia State Patrol by saying they weren't elite and trying to attack Brian Kemp's stance on law enforcement. And so it's a little bit of everything as opposite day in a way that it felt like if Brian Kemp came out and said the sun was a great thing, David Perdue would be wearing a moon T-shirt. I mean, it's the, it's the sort of antagonistic oppositional position that we do see in politics, but not so uh, nakedly laid bare such as this. I mean, but, but like Leroy said, there are some legitimate concerns with the way the Rivian factory is being put in place. You know, whenever big developments come into places, especially smaller, more rural areas, people don't tend to like when there's a giant factory just plopped in their backyard with no explanations and conversations about how best to move forward. There are legitimate ways to talk about the plant and the opposition and what the local communities are thinking. And then there's what David Perdue is doing, which is throwing conspiracy spaghetti against the wall and hoping that something sticks enough that he can force Brian Kemp into a runoff. Well, uh, we're going to watch how that unfolds again on the stage tonight. And I wanted to, uh, because I mentioned that it was going to be, uh, uh, the debate was going to come out of the studios of WTOC in Savannah. Uh, it's going to be broadcast on all the stations owned by Gray Broadcasting. And I just, while we were in a break, looked up 
the uh, website for uh, WTOC, and people can stream this debate live <clears throat> on, <clears throat> excuse me, on WTOC and the other stations that are uh, carrying uh, the debate. So if you're interested, if, if you're more interested in that than the uh, NFL draft, uh, you'll have an opportunity uh, to watch it. Donna, what, one other aspect of all this that isn't related specifically to Georgia, but it, it is in a way. You know, you've got a, a, a former CEO, a big shot CEO in David Perdue, uh, fighting against a corporate effort to um, bring jobs to the state of Georgia. And, and it's part of this really interesting trend among Republicans who are now taking on big businesses in a way that Republicans would never have done in the past. I mean, obviously, the biggest example right now is Ron DeSantis uh, going after Disney in Florida. Um, there are people down there who think that the deal that Disney struck many years ago to have complete control over their property, have to pay attention to no state or local ordinances and laws to develop their their properties the way they wanted to. There are a lot of people who thought that was a mistake way back then and were critical of it. But on the other hand, because Disney took a stand against this so-called don't say gay bill, Ron DeSantis has turned around and punished them in the most extreme way possible, essentially saying, we're taking away all your privileges. It's just an odd place for Republicans to now find themselves. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, where is the Republican Party now? This is not the Republican Party we've known, the part, big party of big business. And uh, to, to, uh, to actually, actually, it's like um, going after one of your children, in a sense, you know, that, you know, the, the Republicans were seen as the, the party of dealing with big business and focusing on business, big business and wanting big business in and to, um, to, to have the former CEO, as you mentioned, with David Perdue, going after uh, a, a company like Rivian and trying to stop them in this day and then actually threatening that he will get rid of any of uh, the people appointed and, uh, by the, the previous governor. And uh, it's just the, the, uh, a change that we, we didn't expect with the party. I used to live in Orlando. I used to work in the Orlando market. And I, I, you know, just like you said, there was this feeling that why has why is Disney its own little fiefdom? Um, it shouldn't be allowed to do that. And yet, honestly, as the news has come out about the Santos in the last few weeks, and and we found out um, more and more about what Disney does, it has helped that community so much more. And we're going to, you know, the people in the um, the two counties that are that Disney is in are going to have to pay more taxes. It's going to be a mess. It has worked for them, despite what people, uh, the criticism from years ago. And the fact that um, that you've got a, uh, a governor going after this enormous company is just amazing to me. Stephen, of course, Georgia hasn't been immune. Georgia Republicans have uh, uh, on a number of occasions done the same thing with major companies here. Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to 2018, there was in the uh, gubernatorial primary, then Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle uh, was at loggerheads with Delta Airlines over Delta Airlines making a decision to end a discount code for the National Rifle Association. And you've seen it in increasing years with 
companies that spoke out about Georgia's 98-page voting law, with the Major League Baseball All-Star game being moved from here, the uh, party of kind of the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce Republicans is kind of being shifted away. And it's just coming at a really interesting time at Georgia because you could argue that a lot of the success of Georgia economically, demographically, with all of this business and people wanting to move to Georgia and to Atlanta and to come here was because of very pro-business policies. I mean, when I first got started covering politics, people said there are Democrats, there are Republicans, but really they're all pro-business. And now, because of this massive growth we've seen in Georgia, we're seeing a shift in who the party is that favors these companies more that could alter the state for the next decade. Yeah, Leroy, uh, it, it is the mantra among uh, Republican office holders, particularly Georgia, the number one state to do a uh, business. Well, that's been going on for a decade, Leroy. Yeah, yeah, this, this does present a bit of a problem, too. But, you know, there is something that's, that's here in Georgia. It's in the South, but it's also national. Uh, you know, sort of the, the, this very populist movement among uh, really hardcore conservatives, uh, even those who are kind of on the conspiracy-minded end, uh, they see corporations as being a threat because they tie it to uh, the influence that uh, they have on things like uh, speech and being uh, involved in, um, you know, po- policy issues that they may, may disagree with. So this sort of dovetails into things like, um, you know, critical race theory or teaching equity uh, in a um, at a corporation in uh, diversity training. Uh, gay rights, for example, and things like uh, corporations who, you know, may participate in uh, a pride movement or anything like that. So the culture wars <laughs> encompass everything. And sometimes even the very good economic sense and uh, I think bedrock Republican principles have to take a backseat sometimes to the culture wars. Leroy Chapman gets the last word on today's Political Rewind. Thank you so much, uh, Managing Editor Leroy Chapman, Donna Lowry, Stephen Fowler. Really terrific conversation. Um, And it's the kind of conversation that we hope you out there as listeners will support as we go to our final pledge break. Please help us make Political Rewind the show that you always seem to want us to be. Take care, everybody, and stay healthy. See you tomorrow.